We had a few contacts that had been given to us. I phoned one of them. They said, please, will you come to a party? Um, you can meet some people. It's a Scottish Cayley dance, which was quite strange on our first weekend in Africa. Uh, we, we went along to this dance, not knowing everyone. We came through into the garden, and there was a young man wearing a tartan picnic blanket, uh, attempting to do a Scottish dance. Uh, he took one look at us, he wandered over, and he said, I don't know you, my name is PJ. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, that, was, uh, that was nearly 16 years ago. That was the beginning of our, of our friendship. Um, he, discovered, uh, he discovered that I had led a bit of worship and I played the, I played the keyboard. Um, uh, two weeks later, someone from the office arrived, dropping me off a keyboard and said, please, could I send through the set list for Sunday's worship by, th <laughs> by Thursday? <laughs> Which gave me an insight of the kind of guy that I was getting to know. Um, he then invited me to come down to Johannesburg and help uh, organize, uh, organize uh, and, and plant the church with him. Uh, the church was growing. Uh, he said to me, uh, my dream is for every member of our church to be uh, actively serving on a Sunday at least once a month, for every member of our church to be actively in a community group, um, for every member of our church to, uh, to be missionally engaged in their community, and for you to organize all of that. So... Um, <laughs> which is why I'm standing here this morning. Um, it was great to organize all of that. Uh, the Bible's very clear that God has a lane marked out for each one of us, um, a race for us, us to run, um, works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. Um, and for us, we need to be able to be able to do those. And we need to lead people to be able to do that. There's nothing greater for a joy than for someone to be able to bring their gifts, their talents, their abilities, and use them for the extension of the kingdom of God. And as leaders... It's, it's great for us to be able to help people with that and to get them serving, not because they must, but because they love it and because they feel that they're making a significant uh, contribution uh, towards, uh, towards uh, what God has for them. And there's several aspects of leadership, the call anointing of God, Christ-like character, you know, human personality traits, kind of an orientation, a perspective, a vision that everyone brings as they come into leadership. But I'm really talking about the abilities that people bring and the skills, both the God-given ones and the learnt ones that they're bringing to the party for the purposes of this, of this brief, uh, brief talk. So it is a very kind of uh, specific uh, look at this. A few principles that we look at when we're leading is, firstly, that each person's strengths are enduring and unique. Not one, sh not one shoe fits all. Each person comes with their own background, their own strengths, and they are unique. The second thing is, as people, we are more predictable than we like to think we are. Um, and, uh, and as such, we want, to, we want to help people to work in the areas where they're strong. Um, that we live in, an, in a weakness-obsessed world where actually, you know, even, in our, even in, our, uh, in our businesses, we go for performance review. The HR manager uh, has so little language at their disposal to say that this is where you're strong at, but they have a wealth of language to say these are your weaknesses. This is where you need to improve. This is the course I'm sending you on. You are rubbish at this. You are never going to complete your job if you don't improve in this area. The reason it's a weakness, there's a clue there, you know, because that isn't the talent that God gave you. What we need to be doing is fixating on what the strengths, the gifts, and the talents that God has put into people and maximize on those. The phrase we constantly use, let's play to our strengths and let's manage our weaknesses. Our greatest potential lies actually in who we are, not what we hope to be. The way that God has made you. And quite often we want to help people to understand that God's wired you that way. God's given you those gifts. Let's not talk about what he didn't give you. Let's talk about what he did give you and let's help you use those gifts with great joy. Each person's greatest opportunity for growth is in their area of greatest strength.
Um, only when we maximize our strengths do we possibly see excellence. Um, and so often we want, to, we want to really say we want well-rounded people. I'm over having well-rounded people. I don't want well-rounded people in my church. I want sharp-edged people. People who are sharp, people who can penetrate, people who know this is what I'm good at and this is what I'm going to deploy. These are the talents God gave me and I am going to wield them with a very big stick. Um, a, well, well, a sharp-edged person is more likely to really succeed than a well-rounded one. But a well-rounded team full of sharp-edged people is the one that's going to be most effective. And that's what we're looking for, is to put teams together which can, can deal with all of the tensions that Josh just talked about because we've got a, someone who's sharp in every single one of those, those particular areas. That's when the body is really working to its most effectiveness. So another way of looking at that is there's basic competences in leadership. There's vision, there's decision-making, organization and management, motivating and equipping, and communication. Um, <clears throat> somebody uh, who I was coaching recently, this was their profile. That line in the middle, uh, just above the five, is the basic area of competence. They were uh, well above competence in the area of vision, decision, motivating, equipping, communication, but way below a basic level of competence when it came to organization and management. They said to me, please, would you help me? Would you coach me? Would you just help me bring that up to a level of competence? So we spent the next six months to a year coaching that person up to a level of competence in organization and management, and they achieved it, but at the detriment of vision, decision-making, motivating, equipping, and communication. So it's a case of actually what we need to do is to remove that component of organization and management. We need to find someone who will do that for you because what we need is for you to be off the charts when it comes to vision, when it comes to communicating, motivating and equipping people. So what we then do is, um, I'll leave that for a moment, what we then do is we looked at um, vision, implementation and administration. So for this person, they need to spend most of their time in vision, some of it in, uh, in, in implementation and none of it in administration. They need to be kept as far away from administration <laughs> as is humanly possible because all they will do is wreak havoc, confusion and... And stomach ulcers will be the biggest gift in our church. So, so we, we need to, but we, we, we often come, I often come across pastors who are saying, I'm completely overworked, I feel like I'm doing everything, I need an administrator. Quite often what they don't need is they don't need an administrator, they need an implementer. And that's quite a key distinctive that we have found in our, in our church. You see, a leader, when it comes to creating an agenda, will establish the direction. This is where we are going as a church. This is where God is taking. This is where we go. But an implementer will plan and budget for that. They'll say, well, in order to achieve that, these are the plans we need. This is what it's going to cost us. These are the people that we need to involve in that particular. And then the implementer needs an administrator who can actually make that happen. The leader will align people, but the implementer will organize and staff. The leader, in terms of, will motivate and inspire others but the implementer will control and problem solve. And when it comes to the outcome, the leader often produces positive and sometimes dramatic change, but it's the implementer that produces order, consistency, and predictability. So when they're working in Tambden, the visionary leader and the implementer, and then you can have all the people, the saints, who they are equipping for the ministry to be able to actually to deliver those things. So how do, we, how do we actually go about doing this? This is something that uh, I know the One Life guys know because I was in their leaders meeting this week and Brian pinched my talk because um, he used this, uh, this particular thing. But when we're leading people and when we're building our churches and when we're executing and delivering and we're helping, these, uh, helping the saints to the work of the ministry, what we're really looking forward for is a, is a, is a really strong balance of both support and challenge that we are offering to them. 
Um, we're, we're actually usually pretty good at the challenge aspect. You know, here's a children's ministry, good luck and God bless, you know. <laughs> um, let me know how it goes, you know. Um, when you find in a situation where you're in a very high, in very high challenge area, but with very little support, people report feeling stressed. They're pressured, they're worried, they're tense. They feel out on their own. They feel very isolated. When you find people who are in a very high, a high supportive environment, but with very little challenge, you know, this, this particular environment, they, we love each other. We have so much fun. You know, it's really great to hang around. We never do anything, but it's great to be there. It's a comfort zone. They're easy. They're relaxed. They're, they're in a rut. They're sp- generally spectating. If you've got a lot of people in your church who are spectating, church is a happy place to be, but they're not doing anything. What we're looking for is that, bo- uh, that combination of both high support and high challenge. Uh, high performing. They're excited. They're challenged. They're motivating. Sometimes I see someone who's been in a role for a particular time, and I can see them moving from high performance into their comfort zone because the challenge is is reducing. I will deliberately throw them into stress um, and then bring in the support so that it puts them back into high performance, making sure that we're helping people to feel utterly fulfilled in what it is that God has called them to do. One of the ways that we need to, that we can offer support, there's two ways that we can particularly offer support to the people that we are leading. The first one is with really strong feedback. How am I doing? People want to know that what they're doing is well. There was a company in the the UK, it employed 1,000 people. They did a survey of those 1,000 people and they said, does your boss encourage you or criticize you more? 100% of that workforce said they criticize us more. So they went through a a process over the next six months where every manager was under strict instruction that for every piece of correction or criticism they brought, they had to bring two pieces of positive affirmation. Then they surveyed again. 100% of that workforce reported they criticize us more. So they doubled it to four pieces to one. 100% they criticize us more. Only when it got to seven pieces of encouragement for every one piece of criticism did the workforce report, it's about even. (laughs) So they began to ask the question, are the British really that shallow? Um, So... To which they discovered that actually, yes, actually, it came down not to the amount, but to the quality of what was being said. You see, when we give criticism or correction, it is always specific. It is always to the point. It always picks out that thing which grated. And you go away very clear what it was that you did wrong. When you give confirmation or affirmation, it is never specific. It is always general. Hey, great priest, Josh. That was great. Hey, Kelly, you did great this morning. Really? It, it doesn't say anything. Next time Josh gets up to preach, how have I empowered him? How have I helped him? How does he know what he did really well that he needs to do more of because that really helped me? And so actually what they realized is when they gave feedback, it had to be done in two ways. The first one is in the frame of did well. What is it that he did well? What is it that touched my heart? What impacted me? What was it about his words and the music and the dance he brought his, his, his speech with that really helped me, that motivated, that changed my heart? Was that light bulb moment? Hey, you know, PJ, when you tell that story this morning, you know, when he's kissing Ashley, you know, it, it comes alive. I kind of get it. You need to tell more of those stories because those really help the word come alive. 
Next time he's preparing, what does he think? He thinks about that feedback. That's really helpful. I must include more of it. When we bring correctional stuff, we never say what you did wrong. We say what you should do differently. So we can point out what was wrong, but we've got to empower people by saying, so next time, try it like this. Do it like that. Let me, let me change it this particular way. So that actually people feel empowered. And so it's a culture within God First Church all the time, whether it be a Sunday, whether it be our life, our community groups, whether it be our Sunday serving teams, that the leaders very much work with their teams with a culture of did well and do differently. Hey guys, what are we doing well? What do we need to do more of? Where, where are we successful? What could we do differently? And we have that culture of feedback that pervades everything and it really helps with that level of support. People feel, yeah, I'm contributing, I know how I'm contributing, I know the impact that I'm particularly making and how we can pr particularly improve the area that we're involved in. The second thing is to be very, very clear on the vision. Or oh, my favorite expression is define the win. So PJ will say, to, you know, we need to do this. And I say, well, you know, you know kind of just define the win. What, is it, what does good look like? What does good look like to you? And so often that will really help people that they know what good looks like. What would the win look like? And then I know what I'm building towards. And that's really empowering because you feel a degree of support. Cast the vision. So often what we do is we tell people what needs to be done. That doesn't empower. What we need is to cast a vision. Take something very small like our car park team at church. I will say to them, if you, if you, if you stop someone at the congregation that I'm at and say, what are you doing? I hope they wouldn't say to you, I'm parking cars. I hope what they'd say to you is, I'm building the church, I'm building the kingdom of God. That's interesting, what do you mean you're doing? Well, what do you see, Stephen? If someone arrives who's a visitor and they can't find somewhere to park or they need to park two blocks away and then that makes them late and there's nowhere to check their kids in because that's now closed down and they're not quite sure where, where to go and where to sit and we're already into the third song. You know what, it doesn't matter how brilliant your worship is, how amazing your teaching is or how skilled your kids' ministry is, They've already made the decision, I'm not coming back here again. So what I'm doing is I'm building the kingdom of God and I'm growing the church. That's the vision that we're driving towards and that's my contribution to the vision. So as people, if we're constantly casting vision, and you know what, I don't tell them how to park cars. That's not my strong point. You know? I don't say this is how you must park cars. I've cast a vision and they work it out. You know, you know what, we need to have someone who particularly helps young mums who've got prams. You know, we need to have someone who's direct, anyone, strollers, sorry. We, we help anybody who, anybody who, who uh, anyone who's got kids, we need to direct them to where the kids' ministry is. Anyone who looks like they need a wee, we need to talk, send them to the toilets. You know, they work those, <laughs> they work those things out for themselves in order to grow the kingdom. But we need to constantly drip that vision in because vision leaks and gospel motivation leaks. And what we've discovered is that gospel motivation leaks at different lengths of time for different things. You can motivate someone, to a gospel motivation in towards mission, but you can't just leave it there. You've got to constantly motivate and constantly train. We found that actually when it comes to social development, social action and social justice in South Africa, that's the thing that leaks the fastest. That's the thing that we have to speak most of. That's the thing we have to motivate. Every six to eight weeks, we need to have something which motivates our people towards getting involved in, their, uh, in, in, in social justice and mission. 
There's other things we don't have to, but in each of those areas where we're leading people, what is the level of support? Can we get away with a community group leaders training once every six months? Is that enough support? Or actually do we need to be meaningfully interacting with them either one-on-one -on -one or in a group con context, recasting vision, offering support, did wells, do differentlies, and making sure that the challenge is, is achievable, but the challenge is enough to keep people in high performance, motivated and stimulating. Um, finally, when it comes to management, and I'll finish with this, when it comes to leading others, people tend to manage others in the same way they themselves are managed or have been in the past, or in the same way, irrespective of who they're managing, and generally in a way that they themselves are most comfortable with, out of the strengths as they see the world. In other words, people tend to manage and lead others where they're at instead of where, where I'm at instead of where you are at. And we need to lead people where they are at and not where we are at. And so this, this is, for me, really key, as we have these precious, uh, precious people within our churches, that they have gifts and the talents and abilities. We want to find out what are those talents, what are those strengths, how can we harness those strengths so they love, serve with joy, how can we offer an appropriate challenge with great uh, support, which comes through quality feedback and clear vision, and let's manage them where they're at and not where we find ourselves. Cool. Okay, we've got 10 minutes. I'm bang on time. How about that? It's the first time ever, maybe. Um, 10 minutes for questions, if anyone has any. Sorry, it's, it's, I, I normally teach this over five days, so... Uh, <laughs> I'm very grateful to have 20 minutes. Vic. Vic. Sorry, Josh. <laughs> Prams. A, 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 a condition, absolutely. A lot of people have it in South Africa. Yeah. Prams. Strollers. Yes, sir. Um, it's a great question. How do we recognize the gifts of, of a visionary and of an implementer? Um, I, think, uh, I think often um, I find it more of a challenge to spot the gift between an implementer and an administrator. That, that tends to be much more gray. I've always found a visionary, a visionary leader and an implementer um, are quite easy to spot most of the time because they want to kill each other. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because... The, uh, the visionary leader is, is always propelling to the future. They are always on the go. Uh, they, they've, they've got a picture of what the future should look like. And they're, they're generally the first question, the only question they ever ask is, when can we start? Um, <laughs> whereas the implementer can see all of the reasons why that isn't today and probably isn't in the next six weeks because they need to, to, to be able to uh, risk assess, uh, recruit, budget, plan, and execute in a way which is going to cause least collateral damage um, and least train wrecks. Um, so, so what you tend to find is when they're working together in great harmony, you have a phenomenal, you have a phenomenal joy. When they don't, then there tends, to be a, there tends to be a clash. And in the absence of the implementer, 
It can often be a visionary leader who's just yelling at administrators to perform at a level of leadership and to execute that they're just not capable of. And why isn't it ever happening? And I gave very specific instructions <laughs> as to what I wanted and look at this place. Um, so the role of the implementer is someone who can be able to do that. They're often able to manage many things at one go, different complexities. Uh, often they'll get great joy. Almost the more complex something is, the more joy they'll get out of it because they love trying to working out all of the pieces and how this, how this can actually work. Um, I've loved working with PJ. I always say he generally has um, 16 ideas before breakfast and I, ha I like to have 16 projects running by supper. Um, <laughs> And that's really the difference between the visionary and the implementer. I, I don't think I've ha ever had an original idea in my life. I think an administrator really lives to do, and I think an, an implementer really lives to tell people what to do. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think an, Im an implementer loves to, loves to see the vision and loves to see all of those kind of things work out. If I fall off the side of the horse, it's not towards vision, it's towards, it's towards administration. And so the people that I would lead, the administrators would often say, hey, that's my job. You know, I I'll do the detail, I'll make it happen. I get quite excited about what this project's going to look like. I actually want to do it. Um, but the implementer isn't about the delivery. The implementer is about bringing the order, bringing the budget. They're, they've got the plan. You know, this is how it's going to work, and we'll need this person in the mix, and we need that person, and this guy's got great strengths and qualities. Let's drag him in for this one. They act as that kind of hub, which allows the visionary to dream more. A lot of visionaries just kind of feel, I just don't have the time to dream. I don't have the time to plan, and, you know, they really want to be working you know, they want to be working on the church. You know, the administrator's working in the church to make the, the implementer, sorry, to make it all happen. And the team of administrators, the saints, are delivering the work. And that's, that's, that's really the, the difference, Al. Um, how people want to be managed at the start of a new church plan. I think... I think perhaps at the start of a new church plant is the one time I wouldn't use this. Um, at the start of the church plant, it's, uh, it's very, it often can just be everyone has to do everything. It's all hands on deck. You know, when you're carving something out of nothing, you know, we don't have the luxury for, you know, you can be the implementer and I'll just be the visionary. And, you know, no. <laughs> we're all going to put the chairs out and we're all going to pour the soup and we're all going to park the cars. And that's just, that in many respects, is the way it is. I think the key really is, as once the church gets established and once numbers get to a certain level, then we can begin to more and more begin to play very much into our strengths. And that's often where many, many churches worldwide fall down, is they never kind of get past that. We've still got the pastor who's trying to do everything and kind of feels like, you know, I need to be amongst, the, I need to be seen to be putting out the chairs. And that's why many churches st stick at 150 or they stick at 200 because they don't actually get past that. I think T.D. Jakes has actually written some good stuff on this, where he's actually said, you know, you kind of get to the point where you need to move from being within the church to being ahead of, you know, being at the, at the forefront, where you need to kind of begin to lead the church, begin to work on the church rather than work in the church. And, and so um, we, we've got many, many different kinds of tools that we use to identify strengths. Um, 
many different kind of tools to work out um, who particularly fits where, what someone brings to the party. Um, and part of the joy of it for me is helping someone self-discover what it is that God's put them on this planet to do. Because a lot of people say to me, Stephen, you're so sure on your calling, but I haven't got a clue what mine is. And so I love to coach people and help them with it and to sit down. And, and I've got more tools than, than I can just present you with one. Um, I, I draw from the best of the business world. You know, we want to utilize that, redeem it for the kingdom. And just, you know, there's some amazing stuff out there in books. I love this kind of thing. Okay, so how do we how do we move from the small to getting into this? Generally, one of the things I want to do is I want to start with I want to start with the you know the kind of the eldership team or the the guy who's giving a lead to the eldership team because um, we want to make sure that they're particularly placed right. Um, I think if you look at an Act Six type of situation, we found that the apostles were really uh, they were getting caught up with this kind of fight between the the, the Grecian and the Hebraic uh, widows in terms of of the allocation of food. And so they were kind of, no, we need to be positioned right, so we need to appoint people who can deal with that. And I think, you know, you want to have your eldership team particularly placed right, doing the things that only they can do. And that's the other phrase that I often use, is we need to have people doing the things that only they can do, and the rest of the stuff we can push out, the rest of the stuff we can find other people to do. What is it, as leaders in your church, that you, as you look at your week, what are the things that only you can do? Because that's the rest of the stuff you might do because you love it or because you enjoy it. But actually, we need to, we need to kind of let go of that. And that was, that was kind of key for me. I, I've, I've, I've played keyboards. I've played in worship bands for, uh, for, for many, many years. We got to the point where PJ kind of sat down with me and said, Stephen, I think this is something you've got to let go of. Because I just can't have you in band rehearsals and, 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 and tied up on a Sunday behind a keyboard when actually I, I kind of need this gift elsewhere. We've got many people who can play that, but only you can do what you're doing. And I think that's a, that's a, really, a really helpful uh, position to get to. One last one. Anyone? At the back. Okay, how do you get into the heads of people without copious amounts of time with them? Um, I think... I think for me, uh, I'm, I'm aware there's a limit to the amount of people that I can lead really well and really closely. Um, I, I loved, I, come in, I, mean, I mean, even Jesus drew the line at 12, you know, so I don't know why some of us think we can do 15 or more, um, you know. So uh, I think one of the things is that, you know, that you know, we, we want to lead people or disciple people, um, but are we, dis are we equipping them to do the same for others? And so I think, you know, you need to have the key people. So for me, it might well be um, a small group of community group leaders in this context or a small group of Sunday serving team leaders in this context or, you know, that I would take and I would invest in, try and manage them where they are at in order that they will manage people where they are at. So I think it, it's not taking on far too many people. So you have got time to really get to know them. It's using tools. We've got many different kinds of tools that we use to, to work out what people's particular strengths are at. But one of the things I'm saying when you manage people where you're at and not where they're at is sometimes when it comes to a particular task, like I gave the example of the car park, 
there can be something very disempowering, you know, when actually you hand them a script of things to say when someone gets out of the car, you know, or you give them a little, uh, a, a, you know, a stick this long to say, you know, cars must be parked at least this, you know, way apart. It's, it's entire, because actually what you're saying is I want you to car park, the car park the cars the way that I would park them. And that's not what we're after at all. We want them to be empowered to do it where they're from, within the confines of the vision as to why they're parking cars. Now, sometimes you need to help them with it. You need to, to kind of direct them. Um, uh, and you need to give them regular feedback in terms of what they're doing well and doing differently. But that's them leading them where they're coming from. We've isolated them for this particular job. And whatever it is, when it comes to worship and whatever, you know, you don't want to be picking the songs for the worship leader, but you do want to be framing where are we going with our worship? What is the vision? What is the kind of song that we would want to lead out with? What is the kind of song that we'd want to land our service with? But then let them lead it. Because so often it can just come then that we have a church which just reflects who I am. And it's not rich in terms of the body of Christ and the talents that God's put in this body, which is far more attractive. Thank you.